Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 1, 29 through 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Raj, for uh, sharing with us that story of how you came to know Christ, the story of meeting Christ and getting to know him. Uh, the passage that Heidi just read for us is a passage about some people who also met Christ, didn't they? For, for the first time, for John the Baptist and Andrew and Simon Peter and the other uh, man who's mentioned here, the, the passage that we're looking at today, this describes their first encounter with Jesus when they first met him. And whenever you meet someone for the first time, usually you don't know what to expect. You don't know how they're going to respond to you. You don't know what they're going to say. There's a lot of that for them in this passage. Who is this one we're meeting? What should we expect of him? You might ask that question. What, what should I expect if I come to Christ? Well, judging from this passage, I, I would say this. If you come to Christ... You open your heart to him. You trust in him. You should expect him to do this. Expect him to take something from you. Expect him to give something to you. And expect him to change something within you. Those things. So first, um, Jesus wants to take something from you. Did you know that? He wants to take something from you, and he will never, ever give it back. You know what it is? All your guilt, all your shame. He wants to take that away. 
Now, in, in the verses right before this passage, you, you read about the ministry of John. We often call him John the Baptist, the, the ministry that he had to the people of Israel. You might know that John was a man who was sent by God to preach a, a message of repentance to them, to call them to turn back to God, to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. He baptized them. That's what's going on in this passage. And in verse 29, it says that in that setting, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this is an astonishing statement. When, when John said to them, the Lamb of God, that, that might have been a phrase they were familiar with. In, in, uh, in, in first century Jewish apocalyptic writings, sometimes the rabbis would refer to the Messiah they were awaiting as the Lamb of God. And what they talked about was a Lamb who would come as a warrior, who would come in judgment to bring punishment on sinners. And yet John says here, Jesus is the Lamb, not who comes to punish sin, but the Lamb who comes to take sin away, to remove it. In, in, in the, uh, the Greek here, the word that's translated lamb, it's a word that doesn't appear very often at all in, in the New Testament, but in the old Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's a word that most times referred to sacrificial lambs, the lambs that the priests would offer before God in, in the temple. So when some people heard John say this word, uh, lamb, they might have thought of the Passover lamb, the lamb, you know, that was slain and whose blood was used to cover the, the doors of the people of Israel when God brought them out during the exodus. Or they, they might have thought of the lamb that's referred to in, in the book of Isaiah. John had just been quoting from Isaiah. And in Isaiah 53, um, Isaiah talks about the Messiah as a suffering servant who, quote, is led like a lamb to the slaughter to atone for his people's sin. You might know that passage, Isaiah 53. Uh, Isaiah said this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. So this, these are the imagery that, that, that John's bringing to mind. And, and he's talking about someone very different than the warrior lamb that was anticipated by the rabbis who would come to punish sin. He's describing a sacrificial lamb who would come to take sin away. The verb here that's translated takes away. The lamb takes away the sins of the world. It's a word that meant to lift off of or, or to carry away or to bear away. It means you pick something up and you take it away. He takes away our sin. It, often in the Old Testament, we read of God doing exactly that for His people. For, for example, Psalm 103, we read that God removes our transgressions from us. How far does He remove them? The psalmist says, as far as the east is from the West. Micah, the prophet, communicated the same idea. He says that when God forgives us, He tramples our sins underfoot, and then He hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God just removes our sin as far away from us as we can imagine. And, and, and that's what John here is saying Jesus does. He takes away sin. What I find amazing is uh, the tense of the verb. 
That verb takes away in the original, it's in the present active tense, which was a, a grammatical form that indicated ongoing, continuous action. So in other words, the forgiveness that we're offered in Christ. Isn't this amazing? The forgiveness that we're offered in Christ, it's, it's not, um, this is not a one-time deal. It's not, not like you come to Christ and God says, okay, I will forgive every sin you've ever committed in the past. But don't you mess up again because this is the only time you're going to get this offer, right? No, it's not like that. The Lamb of God takes away our sin in an ongoing, continuous way. We fail, and He takes away our sin. We fail again, and He takes away our sin. We fail again, and He takes away our sin. We fail again. He takes away our sin. Isn't that amazing? The, the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 5, verse 20, he said, where sin increased. Do you ever feel like your sin is increasing? He said, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So this is what John is describing. He's saying, this lamb is coming to take something from you. He'll never give back and he'll never stop taking. He takes away our sin. I, I heard once of a, a Baptist minister who, who he got discouraged because he liked to talk with people and, and whenever he'd be flying on an airplane he'd try to strike up a conversation with the person sitting next to him and invariably they would ask hey so what do you do for a living and he'd say I'm a Baptist minister and that would be the end of the conversation who wants to talk with someone like that right so he decided to introduce himself differently they would say what do you do for a living and he said I have the best job in the whole world and they say, what is your job? He said, my job is to tell people how they can know for sure that every sin they've ever committed is forgiven by God. Every, every wrong they've ever done, every selfish act they've ever indulged in, every impure thought they've ever entertained, every unkind word they've ever spoken, taken away, gone. Guys, listen. That's what Jesus does for us. When you come to Christ, what do you expect? He will take something from you. What? All the guilt and all the shame of all your sin gone forever. It's good news, right? So what, what should we expect from Christ? He will, take, he will take something from you. And he will give something to you. Verse 32 and 33 says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, John here is, is describing what, um, what he witnessed, what happened when Jesus came to him to be baptized. And, and we read about this in, in greater detail in the other Gospels, that as Jesus was being baptized by John in the river of Jordan, Luke 3, verse 22 says, The Holy Spirit descended on him, on Christ, in a bodily form. And John here is saying, I saw that happen. I saw the Spirit come and remain on him. And I had been told by God that that would be the sign, that when I saw the Spirit come and remain on someone, that that someone is the person who would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. So listen, Jesus came 
to give something to you. To give what? A gift. What's the gift? He came to give you the Holy Spirit. He came to give you the Spirit of God in your life. On, on, on the night before his death, knowing that he would be taken away from his disciples, Jesus said to them in John 14, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, he said, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's the promise of Christ, that whenever anyone turns to Christ in repentance and receives him by faith, the Spirit of the living God comes and resides or lives within them. You know, that's, that's, that's so encouraging. Sometimes, sometimes we think, if I follow Jesus, I have to do this on my own through my strength. The strength of my flesh will do this. You know what Jesus said, John 6, 33? He said, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Meaning in your strength, you will accomplish nothing. But the Spirit gives life. And so the promise is that, listen, believer, when you follow Jesus, you do not have to do this in your strength. That's such good news. When you, you go to God to pray. The apostle said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. It's the Holy Spirit Himself who wants to empower your prayer. When, when you come to worship and, and you really want to lift your heart up to God, well, what has to happen for you to worship? Well, the sermon better be good. The music better be perfect. The temperature in the room must be right. I mean, everything has to be perfect. No. The Spirit can lift your heart in praise to God. Sometimes in the hardest of situations. Have you experienced that? He can lift your heart to praise God. You, when you fight temptation, there are things that you need to do to live responsibly, to resist temptation, but you don't do that in your strength, do you? The Spirit empowers you. Even the task of believing the promises of God is not up to you in your strength. The Spirit can empower you to believe even when you don't, you don't feel like believing. So here's what John says. He says, the man on whom, God said to John, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he's the one who will baptize people, just drench people in the Holy Spirit. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. He gives people the Spirit. That's not easy to explain to someone who's never experienced it. It's not easily explained. But this is easily received, very easily. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 was addressing a group of people. It was a large group. There were all kinds of people there. There were good people, bad people. There were, there were uh, wise people and foolish people. There were believing people and doubting people. You know what he said to all of them? To all of them, he said the same thing. Acts 2.38, he said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever anyone... Have you done this yet? Simply turns to Christ in faith and trusts Him. He gives you this gift, the Spirit in your life. 
So when you meet Jesus, what do you expect from him? Except expect him to take something. He'll take your guilt and your shame. Expect him to give something. He'll give his spirit. And then expect him to change something. He'll change something deep within you. So in, in the passage, John the Baptist um, sees Jesus, and he, and he points to two, two of his own disciples. John had a school of, of uh, people whom he was mentoring and training in the ways of God. They were, these were the disciples of John the Baptist. John sees Jesus coming. He, he turns to his own disciples and says, look, the Lamb of God. Two of John's disciples say, well, we're going to follow him. So Andrew and this other man, they follow Jesus. They spend a whole afternoon learning from him, talking with him. And then Andrew goes to get his own brother, Simon, so that Simon can meet Jesus too. And as Simon approaches Jesus, verse 42 says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, the Aramaic word Cephas, Aramaic was the language that Jesus spoke. And the Greek translation of that, Petros or Peter, both of those words mean stone or rock. Now, what do you know about rocks? Rocks are solid. Rocks are firm. Rocks are strong. Rocks are steady. Rocks are not easily moved. If you've read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know that Simon, son of John, he was not any of those things. He was about as far from a rock as you can imagine. You, you read the story about Simon. He was, he was a very unstable, impetuous man, very unreliable, at times, at times just horribly cowardly in his, in his character. Simon, you may know, is the disciple who later denied three times that he even knew Jesus. So why in the world would Jesus look at a man like that and say, guess what? I'm going to change your name. You're the rock now. Your name is Peter the Rock. Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was saying to this man, Simon, he's saying, Simon, I am going to do a work within you that will change your very character. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen quickly. But he says, in time, Simon, you just follow me. I am going to transform you. The, uh, the great reformer John Calvin, in his commentary on that verse, he said, Simon received a new name, not only because Christ foresaw the future steadfastness of Peter's faith, but because Christ foretold, the chain, the, foretold what he himself would give to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, Simon, I, I, I'm calling you rock, not just because I see a lot of potential in you and I believe you could become that. He's saying, Jesus, Simon, I'm calling you rock because I'm going to make you a rock. I'm going to change you. And this is where, um, listen, this is where Jesus is so different from many of the people that you'll meet in this world. Some of you have experienced this. Many people, many people when you, they look at you, um, they see your mistakes, they see your flaws, they see your shortcomings, they see your failure. Some of you do that to yourself. When you look in the mirror, you see your mistakes, your flaws, your shortcomings, your failure. But listen, when Jesus looked at Simon, he didn't merely see the, the person who Simon was. Jesus saw the person Simon would be because Jesus saw the work that he himself would do in that man. He would transform him. And I, I don't know if you know this yet. I, I, I hope you do. 
our Savior is in the business of transforming people, right? He changes us. Now, I want to tell you if, you, if you trust Jesus and you follow him, you stay close to him and his people. You learn to love him. You, you, you allow him to teach you his ways. Let me tell you what will happen to you. He will change you in some amazingly beautiful ways. He will change you. Give him time. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, we all who contemplate the Lord's glory, any of us who just gaze at Jesus and look at him and love him and learn from him, it says we all who contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. We're becoming like him with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, we're being changed, transformed. In, the, in his book, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you, you probably know that book by C.S. Lewis. These four little children stumble into this magical land called Narnia, and uh, th these four kids, three of them are great, but there's one kid you just can't stand, Edmund. Oh, man, he's the kind of kid you don't want around. Edmund is, uh, listen, he's whiny, he's sniveling, he's selfish, he's controlled by his appetites. I mean, he'll do anything for a piece of that candy, right? He's just, he's cowardly, he's a, tr he's a traitor. And by the end of the book... Aslan, the lion, the figure of Christ, saves Edmund at the cost of his own life. And Edmund, over time, is transformed. Edmund, the sniveling whiner, he becomes the hero in the battle who... who is wounded and, 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 and disarms the, the witch. I mean, the whole battle is won because of him, and they change his name. He's not just Edmund. He's now King Edmund, the just. And C.S. Lewis writes about him, a graver, King Edmund the just was a graver and quieter man than his brother, great in counsel and judgment. Now, I'm, I'm sure Lewis included those details about Edmund in the book just just to give us a picture of the kinds of changes God makes in us through Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are God's handiwork. Maybe you're growing impatient with a, another believer in this church or in your family or in your life. He or she is God's handiwork. God's working on them. Maybe you're growing discouraged with yourself just feel like I'm such a loser. I keep messing up. Believer, you are God's handiwork. It says we are, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So follower of Christ, listen. God's at work in you. Maybe you're discouraged this week. Maybe it was a really bad week for you. God is at work in you. And Philippians 1 verse 6 says that you can be confident of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you meet Jesus, maybe for some of you today you're meeting him for the first time. What do you expect from him? 
He'll take something from you. All your shame, all your guilt, gone. He'll give something to you. He's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. And He'll do something in you. Over time, He'll change you for His own glory and to His own image. He's that good. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that if there's anyone here who is sensing you inviting them today to respond to you with faith and open their heart to you, I ask that by the Holy Spirit you'd give them the faith to do that. I pray for those of us who by your mercy met you perhaps years ago, that you would give us grace today to see how wonderful you are, that you are the one who takes away our sin. It's gone. You are the one who gives us your spirit. He's here. You are the one who transforms us. You're doing that right now. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. And as we gather today at your table, we pray that the Holy Spirit would Make your presence very real so that we would meet you at the table today and be strengthened by you, renewed. In Christ's name we pray this, Lord. Amen.